Hello, everyone. It's Vodka Clock. I'm Amber Love from AmberUnmasked.com, and my special guest today is the one and only Mr. Chuck Wendig, author extraordinaire and uh, Twitter fan and follower of, of all sorts of wonderful noir crime things. Chuck, welcome. Hi. Well, thanks for having me. So, um, you know, you've been uh, getting a lot of uh, publicity these days because Blackbirds just came out. Right. Like, literally, like, a couple days ago. Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday. That was a wild little event. Good. Yeah. So, uh, and Double Dead came out last year, just a few months, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, just before the turn of the year, I guess, something like that. Sure. Yeah. So, um... What's the the feedback and the response been like for Double Dead? If people um, have never heard of it before, is it safe to say that, like the theme is basically vampire versus zombie type situation? Yeah, yeah, I like to call it a vampire and zombie land because it's that whole thing where you know a vampire needs human blood to survive, and in the zombie apocalypse, there's not a lot of humans nor human blood. Right. So uh, you know, it's like mad cow disease amongst the human herd. So the his food supply is completely, um, totally screwed over. This, this mad, crazy vampire, uh, not a good guy, really, uh, is, is forced to sort of become a good guy to protect his food supply. Oh, so he's a dick vampire. He's a dick vampire. He's not a glittery, happy vampire. He's okay. He eats people. The only way he glitters is if he eats a stripper. Oh, well, fantastic. Um, is he is he from Jersey then? Or well, he's from New York, so okay, <laughs> near Jersey. He's got a little Jersey on him, probably. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, what's the response in the the sales and feedback been like for Double Dead? Uh, Double Dead. I I hear they've been good. I don't actually know. Double Dead is technically part of a series, so I don't. I'm not really privy to sales information directly. Um, Abaddon, the publisher, has said it was their fastest selling book of 2011, so that's a good sign. Good enough where they signed me on for a novella sequel called Bad Blood. Um, and Bad Blood will come out, I think, in May or June. I'm not really sure of the date. And then if that sells well, there will be two more novellas, and then those novellas will form one more print book. So okay. Nature, the Coburn's crazy adventures continues this time. So it, it'll continue to be available in print and digital? Uh, well, the novella is only digital initially. It'll be available in print, presuming that there's enough, I guess. Okay. Great. So when there's something, you know, eight million things out there that are similar, mm-hmm. like vampires and zombies, yeah. how does that affect your decision-making? Um, it only does to a certain point, because I'm not necessarily privy to what everyone else is doing. And I think that if you're a strong enough and a capable enough writer, whether I am or not, I'm not going to make that judgment. I'm, I can only hope. Um, I think ultimately what happens is it doesn't matter if you're following a trend or not, you're going to still do your own thing. I mean, it's like if I were to take a popular novel and rewrite it my own way, it would be different. It'd just be a different thing. Even though it was exactly the same thing that I had read, I would have gone different ways with it. And so, you know, and, and one thing I hadn't seen was I had not seen that lone vampire in a zombie apocalypse, though I have since been informed there was like a film script around at one point that had that as kind of a core and maybe a comic book. Um, so I was just mostly trying to own it and do my own thing and put my own voice in there. And You know, that's where that idea that write what you know comes into play. It's not that you have to write everything you know and you can't stray from that fence, but when you bring all that crazy shit that goes on in your life and all the weird fucking stuff inside of your brain and you pump it into the fiction, it's kind of yours. You own it. It's your voice. So that's your, your trademark. Well, I know that when it comes to your new book, Blackbirds, mm-hmm. your your character Miriam has a, a very sort of 
deep emotional back history, but in Double Dead, was there anything like that? Was there something like within you that that? There was, it wasn't you? as much of a personal book as Blackbirds was. No, um, I mean I still drew on events and uh, certain personality quirks from people I've met or, or family members, uh, though it's not as personal as, as the Miriam Black thing. No. Okay. Well, let's segue into Blackbirds, then. I wanted to read this pull quote that I just found hilarious, as all of your pull quotes seem okay, to be. Okay, so you're like, I just found it. It was on the floor. There's a pull quote. It doesn't relate to your book. It's just yeah, no, by James Moran, who's from, he uh, was a screenwriter. screenwriter from Severance, Doctor Who, and Torchwood, mm-hmm. and he calls it a gleefully dark, twisted road trip for everyone who thought Fight Club was too warm and fuzzy. <laughs> if you enjoy this book, you're probably deeply wrong in the head. I loved it, and will be seeking professional help as soon as Chuck lets me out of his basement. <laughs> yes, that so, so was one of the uh, more excellent uh, and insane blurbs I received. How how do all of these magnificent quotes make you feel? Good, good. I mean, it, that pretty much lines up with um, what I feel. I mean, blurbs are always tricky because you want people to... I mean, there's this thing, like, you feel like a whore going out for blurbs. You're like, oh, please just like my book. And if you don't like my book, please don't hurt me. <laughs> it's just, you know, you, you're like, I don't... <laughs> I I swear, I'll, I'll be on my knees 20 minutes longer. If Seriously, you exactly. It's like I'll chaff my lips however I have to to, to make this happen. And, uh, you know, you just feel like a like a weird, sad little person. And you also want them to return to you like marketing-friendly blurbs. But the nice thing about having an angry robot as a publisher is they're a little um, more comfortable with sort of uh, unconventional blurbs. Like, that's a blurb that should never make it on or into any other, like, big, sick publisher book. It just wouldn't happen. They yeah. would have chopped that apart and been like, well, it sounds like you're calling your audience crazy or deranged or something if they like this book. But Angry Robot's willing to sort of go with that and, and run with the sort of the gleeful weirdness of that. Uh, well, how did you find Angry Robot, or how did they find you? Um, we It was a it was a moonlit night on the, on the, yeah, the river. Um, it was vodka. Right, I, you vodka, and I was, you know, wearing my lingerie. I was shaking it, shaking it, shaking it. No, I um I had friends who were published there. Uh, Matt Forbeck was published there uh, originally with Amortals and uh, Vegas Nights, and recently Carpathia, which is a really cool book. Speaking of vampires, um, and we had put Blackbirds around, and it had run the the crazy gauntlet, the carousel, again and again, and it just wasn't gaining any traction. I should say it was gaining traction, but it was gaining traction in the wrong way. Editors loved it, and their sales boards didn't know what to do with it. Um, that quote from James Moran, I think they basically sort of had that in their mind, like, well, this is really great, we love it, except we're afraid it's too fucking batshit for us to sell, so, sorry, not happening. Um, and eventually, you know, my agent and I talked about where else to send it to, and Angry Robot came up. And at the same time, Angry Robot was putting in their bid, um, my Double Dead publisher, they're owned by a company called Solaris, and Solaris actually put in a um, some some energy as well and put in a bid. And it was sort of just just determining which one to go with. And Angry Robot, I mean, because they're both great publishers and they both have good relationships with both. Um, But Angry Robot, um, they were eager to do a two-book deal um, to get her series started. So I was like, yeah, let's do that. that So is is Mockingbird the next book? Mockingbird is the next book, and it's already out coming in August, so soon. That's fast. Yeah. Okay, so were these already basically like done and in the can by the time... Mockingbird was not. Blackbirds was well well ahead of the... Okay. It was way finished. <laughs> it was okay. finished for uh, two years, and it was, you know, took me six or seven years to actually write. And, and it took me 30 days to write Mockingbird, which is either a really good sign or a really bad sign. Um, <laughs> so it's either going to be, you know, really crap or whatever. But um, 
so yeah, no, the, I, I I wrote that then after the deal and submitted that, and I have yet to get my edits, but uh, I, I think it'll be good. I hope it's, hope are, it's good. Are these the sort of stories that could be adaptable to something else, like either um, actual live action or That's um, my hope. Graf- um, graphic graphic novel, maybe? Uh, graphic novel would be cool. Um, I, I did. I was just in LA and I had meetings about bringing Blackbirds to life. That would be fantastic. Let's talk about Miriam, though, a little, because I know you've done a bunch of interviews, so the, the, the history of her is already out there, but um, for anybody who doesn't know, um, it's because you sort of hit this moment in your life where there was so much disease and death. Yeah. And... Um, Cheery topic, I know. Yeah, I mean, you know, hey, welcome yeah. welcome to Crime Noir. Yeah, and welcome to life <laughs> in general. Yeah. So Miriam has... A special ability. True. You want to. She can see how you're going to die. All she has to do is touch you, and she will get a vision of the nature and uh, time of your demise. Not the place, but nature and time. Um, And she feels, or I shouldn't say she feels, she has discovered in her own mind that she cannot stop these deaths. She has tried to undo some deaths, tried to tell people, tried to warn people, tried to actually intervene. And um, she only caused the deaths to happen or. created the circumstances by which they occurred. So she learned to not try anymore. So she sort of gives up trying, and she becomes a vulture uh, on the road, picking the, the bones of the dead, a scavenger. Um, and she thinks that this is it. Fate is what fate is, and you can't change it. And then she discovers, she touches someone who's very uh, seems to be one of the few nice people in this book and one of the few nice people in her world, and she touches him and discovers that she is somehow complicit in his death. And so she sets out on a course of whether or not she's going to in her crass and awful way exploit that or whether she's actually going to try to once more go back into the breach and re- rewrite fate and, and embrace and become the agent and avatar of free will and how to do that is the tricky part okay now since you you created her a while ago I did um, um, uh, did anything change once uh, you and, and your lovely missus had a baby um, the, the way that you look at death did anyone change in the book, or did anyone change my own outlook? Um, it both. I mean, did any, did you ha- decide to change anything in the book because you no, like- no, the book was first of all the book was already okay. written by that point. There was not no changing it. Um, but even if I wanted to, I don't think I would have. Um, it just makes my uh, understanding of because there's some kind of some kid related stuff in the book that's a little freaky. Uh, it kind of amps that up for me just in terms of being freakier than it was before. So. But no, I didn't change anything, and I probably won't change much going forward. I mean, I had a kid, and now it's just, you know. Eventually, I'll start writing stuff that he can read, because he can't read this. Right. Not until he's, like, 30. He should yeah. read this. I'll yeah, there's... put in a, a locked case, and I'm like, don't touch that, or you will be tasered. Don't touch that. <laughs> Daddy's a sick motherfucker. <laughs> he's bad, bad dude. You should... He's a little fucking goofy, so... As, as well, obviously, because I'm threatening to taser my son for touching my book, so that's <laughs> so that's just right out there. Yeah, so child protective service is going to be right at my door. Yeah, it's like the people who put stupid videos of child abuse on Facebook. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> do that. That's bad. But I, I think that that leads to um, an intriguing notion of mine. Aside from thinking that graphic novels or live action should be in your future, I would love to see Chuck Wendig's inappropriate greeting cards come out. <laughs> There we go. I'll write anything. I am I am a, a writing whore. <laughs> maker. And write greeting cards. 
So let's talk about writing processes in the business a little bit. Um, how do you feel about the whole Pulitzer gang deciding that fiction sucked so bad last year, not a single book needed to be considered? Or that they well, I guess they considered books, right? They just chose not to award one. Yeah. Um, for well, the most part, I don't give any kind of a shit. I am never going to be in a Pulitzer Prize winning <laughs> sphere. I will never come in sniffing distance of a Pulitzer Prize. Um, the best I will do is probably get awards based on the weird genre stuff that I write, and that I'm totally comfortable with that. So the Pulitzer world is so far removed from me, it's like, you know, it's like caring about Oscars in a big way. Like, I, oh my god, how can I not win an Oscar? It's not it's not going to happen. So, um, I'm, you know, I hear that the three or so books that got selected did really, like, suddenly got a boost, though. So yeah. maybe actually that's the way to go, is to not select one, but select multiple. Um, and did, I know that it's really sometimes it, it's hard because you're so self-driven, and maybe publishers don't necessarily have the same role that they used to as far as providing all the publicity and the ad campaigns and things like that. It seems like that authors are you know have to wear. You talk about it in in your tips books that ha- you have to be everything. Yeah, you sort of you're wearing all the hats. Yeah. Wearing all the hats. I mean, so... You're strapping it on, putting the hat on, you're wearing the, the yeah. assless chaps, whatever you got to do as the author to make it work. And and yet there's, there's considerations out there, and sometimes it's just hard to have all of this sort of knowledge, but like um, Apple and Amazon being sued for antitrust issues. Oh, I know. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a whole other kit and caboodle, really. I mean, writers need to pay attention to that sort of thing only so they can make informed choices in the future, but what happens is a lot of writers get obsessed with that sort of thing. And they become, oh my god, and they, first of all, they, they get all doom and gloom, like well, the world is coming to an end. You know, publishing comes and publishing goes, and technologies come and technologies go, and but stories remain the same, and we will always require writers. And uh, I don't think, I mean, we may make money in different ways in the future, or some things go up and some things go down, but in general, we're still going to be around, and there are ways to sort of uh, maximize your value as a writer. And part of that is just knowing how to do a lot of different things. Be the Swiss Army knife. But yeah, and I think that's I think that's something that changed. I, I think that there yeah. there was a heyday. Sort of, you know, the same thing happened in comics. And music there, and film, absolutely. There, yeah, I mean, there's such there's so much more independent involvement that even if you do land something corporate, it's your success still seems to be largely based on you and your drive. Yeah, but you know what, and some people don't like that, but there's something actually kind of awesome about that, too, because it puts a lot more power in the writer's hand, in the author's hand. Mm-hmm. But you have maybe more of an ability now to guide your own success, you know, with social media and the Internet and democratizing tools. You have the chance to sort of do your own fucking thing all of a sudden. Before, you were beholden to your publisher, right? And if they didn't support your book, well, good luck. You were just out in the cold. But now you have ways and means to sort of, and, and even if you choose to go with the culture or not, you have ways and means of getting your stuff out there that did not exist before. So that's pretty sweet. Um, so I think it's, I'm fairly optimistic for, and I'm not an optimistic person. Like I, you know, I'm a hypochondriac and a doom and gloom, and I write books about death. So I'm not, <laughs> not exactly like shiny, smiley, happy guy. But I think things are looking pretty okay right now. Well, did your publisher have anything to do with the selection of the cover for Blackbirds? Because we. Oh yeah. We've yeah. talked on Twitter about that. So where yeah, did the where did that gorgeous image come from? Well, that's the thing. Like, if I had some people told me because I waited a long time with Blackbirds, I, I really it was like a book I was committed to getting out there, and I decided 
I was very close to self-publishing it, and some people were like, well, you should just do it. But if I had, I, first of all, I wouldn't have that cover. And as much as there's that saying that says you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, no, no, fuck that. If you can judge my book by its cover, like it. It, please do. Judge it, judge it away and, and, and pick it up. Pick up ten. Ten of those lovely covers. So I wouldn't have had that opportunity if it was not for um, the, the whole having a traditional publisher. In mm-hmm. Agri Robot, they're very author-friendly, and they came to me and said, well, what do you kind of... Just a loose envisioning of the cover, and I was like, I do not want a girl half-turned toward, you know, she's faceless and she's half-toward and she's got a leather-clad booty and it's like she's got a katana. Because that's, you know, it's urban fantasy and that's sort of a traditional, right you know, and I don't want to see that. I see that cover a hundred times on the shelves and I don't want to see it on my book because it has nothing to do with my book. Right. Um, and they were totally on board with that and they, they I guess, worked with Joey Hi-Fi, um, a.k.a. Dale Halverson, before uh, with Lauren Bucas's books. And so... I didn't know he was being brought on for it, but next thing I know, I get this piece of art in my inbox, and it was, I my jaw just dropped. I was like, I, I'm just so happy. Right, it was one of the nicest moments in my inbox. My e- my email's probably very uncomfortable with me now because of how how intimate I was forced to get with my computer. That's it's absolutely so gorgeous. I want it on a shirt. Like I, I, I know, need I to have, want it everywhere. I, I need to have that. Yeah. I, um, do you think that somebody who does go the self-publishing route? has a chance at, I mean, there's, obviously there's affordability in get, getting a graphic designer. Yeah. Is that brilliant? Uh, I was fortunate enough to work with um, the artist Amy Hauser with some of my self-published books, and so she she happened to do beautiful covers like Confessions of a Freelance Pen Monkey is a cover I adore. But of course, mm-hmm. Amazon, because this stuff is largely digital and Amazon is becoming the 800-pound grill in the room, they're kind of reducing the value of the book cover in some ways because it's all down to how tiny it is. I mean, it's like these little icons. You, you need to be able to see it. Yeah, in the yeah. bookstore, the cover really still matters, but on online, it's not as critical. Now, I mean, it's good. It's still a mo- marketing tool. Like, online, the, the Blackbird still gets marketing traction because people have the image, but it's not on the shelves. But on the shelves, people, like, I was at the LA Book Festival, and I was fortunate enough to sell more books than I really maybe deserve to sell as a, as a fairly new author. Um, but people picked it up and they're just like, oh, I love the cover. It's like, great, great, yeah. good. Okay. The smell of it, whatever, whatever it is, <laughs> feel of it on your naked bottom. Whatever it is that <laughs> you want to buy the book, just buy it. Uh, now, you, you crank out, you know, one thing that, that took a, a long time to write and something else that went rather rapid fire uh-huh. and something else that you do on the blog, which is... I love how prolific your blog is, um, which is terribleminds.com, for, if anybody hasn't seen it yet. You also do flash fiction and try to get your, you know, the, the rest of the community involved in that. So why don't you right. tell us, well, if somebody doesn't know what it is, tell us what it is and, and why you do it. Um, yeah, I don't tend to write it much myself these days, um, but unless it's uh, every once in a while I'll join the exercise. But every Friday... I do, a, and Friday on the internet for writers is some some consider it uh, Flash Friday, which is Flash Fiction Friday. Right, and Friday reads is a big. Yeah, one. Friday reads is a big. So Friday's just a big book day in general for people. So, um, what I do at Terrible Minds is give some sort of writing prompt and usually give some sort of rules, and it's generally around a thousand words. And then you have a week to write it um, on that topic on that prompt, and every once in a while there'll be prizes and stuff, but it just keeps people writing and kind of in the vein of. What I encourage there, which is, you know, just to be, be um, generative and uh, productive. 
Okay. Is that something... Do you teach at all? No, no. I've thought about it, but this has been the year where I've made some choices where I don't... I mean, my goal is to be a writer, not a okay. professor or a teacher. I mean, I, I want to do some of that in terms of the blog. Right. But I, that's well, not the sole function. That's what it feels like to me. It feels like you are a, a professor that's at the disposal of anybody who wants you 24 hours a day by virtue of your blog. Yeah, and by virtue of my heavy drinking. Yeah. 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 Vodka clock. And because you, do, you don't sleep. Right. Who needs sleep? Um, so I just, I find it fascinating, and I think that it's great that you're getting, you know, community of strangers and friends and peers involved. Yeah, it's fun. I like it. Um, it's hard sometimes to sort of keep up that level, but I always have something to talk about because as a writer, I'm always... I mean, like, the blog is really for me before it's for anyone else. And I catch some flack every once in a while because, you know, there's whether there's writers or other subsets of people who don't appreciate or like writing advice, to which I would first say, well, it, you don't have to read it. I'm not actually jamming it into your face like a pie. Um, yeah. But on the other hand, it's like, I, you know, there, there's occasional threads of, um, uh, uh, like, a meme that kind of goes around regarding writing advice that you can't teach people how to write. And then I was like, well, that's a scary and egotistical thing to say. Because it sort of indicates that, like, well, I'm a writer, so I just am naturally talented. I didn't, I didn't have to be taught this way. I was blessed with my miracle power of, you know, being the, the gilded pen monkey that I am. But it was like, well, I mean, all you really need is the desire to be that thing to learn it. I mean, it's like you, no one would ever tell someone, like, well, you can't learn how to play piano. You can only just play piano. It's like, really? That's, it's like you can't learn. How do you, you have to be able to learn things. It's, that's how we exist as people. You have to learn to do what we do. And it also cheapens the, the discourse of writing when you say it's like so simple. It's just that you just pick it up. You just, all you got to do is write. That's the other advice. All you got to do is just write. Just sit and write, yeah. Sit and write, you'll figure it out. Why? Well, you know, no, that doesn't actually work. You have to think about it. You have to learn things and you have to read things and read critically, not just read. Like, I just read things. I, you know, okay. That's, it doesn't do anything right. unless you understand what you're reading and why. Yeah, I, I don't know anybody who just sits and writes because it seems that every every show I listen to, every interview I read, the writers out there that actually get stuff done have a planned process. Yes. And yeah. I, so when when there is the it just sit and write, sit and do it mentality, I. I also can't understand that one bit. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you should not, and should read, right? <laughs> those are two, if you, yeah. those are the bare necessities, but I mean, there's a, really a lot that goes on in terms of being a writer and in terms of building the skill and the understanding of the industry and all that stuff. It's not just that one thing. It's not so simple. It's not like, you know, jog, jogging. All you got to do is just jog. Oh, okay. Well, I figured it out. I'm a, I'm a professional jogger. Done. We're good. <laughs> When is it acceptable to call oneself a writer? Um, I, I used to be really a kind of a cocky asshole about that, but I, I'm not anymore. I think I was sort of a jerk um, about that. I think most if you write, you're a writer. That's if you're productive. You're I mean, if you sit down and you write, you're a writer. Um, and part of it is just a self-identification thing in that case. But um, I mean, being a professional writer is a different thing because the word professional brings implies in a, a new money. yeah implies money. Um, which is a whole other level of when you bring money into it, um, for good and for bad. Okay. And um, you were talking about, you know, advice or bad advice. Um, what about the critics? What, I mean, one, one thing that I, at least in the comics community, there's a lot of this sucks balls, yeah. blank, blanket 
um, feedback, right. and everybody's a critic. Yeah, see, that's but, a trick. Everybody's a reviewer, not a critic, but they call themselves critics. Yeah. That's the, 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 the art of criticism is slowly being lost, which is a sad thing because criticism tends to look at a, a, an art product of some kind and dissect it and occasionally make judgments about it, but mostly just to figure it out. Um, and it, it, you know, whether the person likes it or not, the criticism is about trying to figure out what's ticking in there. Mm-hmm. But reviewing is just thumbs up, thumbs down. Right. And it's like, you know, th- that's fine. That's oh. fine. That's valid. I mean, if, you, if I'm reading a, re- a reviewer that I like, I'm, I'm obviously invested in his opinion, and he's part of my self-proclaimed circle of trust. So if he says something sucks, I'm more inclined to agree. But it's not really criticism in the strictest sense. That was something that I, I, I had to learn as well. And um, in our comics workshops, there's it's a, it's a completely different type of feedback because what I find in reviews is that they're book reports. Yeah, it, well, exactly. you know, That's really what it is, right? And a yeah. uh, critique is, as you're saying, it's a, it's a breakdown. It's, yeah. Where's the character development? Or you forgot that this guy walked out of the room and then you brought him back on the scene here and we don't know why. Right. I mean, they're just literal, uh, you know, minute things. Or it could be grand story arc things like, you know, there's a big giant loophole and, you you know, it's obvious and you missed it. Right, right. So um, if you see something that sounds like a real sucky-ass review or a critique that's, you know, jarring do you about your own work. Do you react? Do you, or do you look the other way? Do you um, run and hide? Well, I'm you... dealing with that now because there's kind of an interesting thread of criticism that's going around Blackbirds. It's tricky for me to negotiate because I don't necessarily agree with it, but ultimately, you know, I mean, I get it, and I don't think they're wrong in the sense that, you know, you're wrong to have an opinion. I mean, if you have an opinion, go for it. But the thread is that because I'm a guy writing a, a girl character, um, I think one review called it a fiesta de dicks, and it was, mm-hmm. you know, well, she, it's a very male-driven book, and, you know, it's it disingenuous or whatever because I'm a guy writing this book, and it, it's a female protagonist, and she's clearly a male character written with a vagina or something. I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. um, which is weird because, you know, it, it's tricky. You know, I know women like this. I know women who are very... Um, foul-mouthed, and, um, and some of the reviews seems to take shots that she's somewhat of an active protagonist. I don't know. It's, it's a little strange. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't always know what to do with that, because suddenly the, like, the comment feed will be filled up with people who are like, oh, I was going to buy this, but now I'm not. Thanks. And you're like, oh, no, wait, crap. Oh, Try man. it yourself. But ultimately, you know, then part of me is like, well, if you were that easily dissuaded from reading my book, then it's probably, actually, you probably wouldn't like it. So maybe maybe it's a good... Um, self-winnowing process that maybe that's a necessary uh, thing, but it always feels like initially like you're stealing money from my mouth. Stop telling people not to read my book. It's it's. <laughs> but look at the cover. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Shut up. <laughs> well, don't do that. Um, but you know, not everyone's going to like it, and some people are going to have very strong feelings about it. It's a strong book, and I don't mean strong as in good. I'm not judging, but I mean it's it's strongly worded. <laughs> There's a lot of harsh, harsh action, and a lot. It's a nasty, you know, in a lot of cases, a nasty book. I mean, I think it has heart, and I think it. Um, has a sweet nougaty core in, in the midst of its, um, you know, canker sores, but uh, it's you know. So I, I totally get why people might feel uh, challenged by it that way. So, but this is definitely something that's that's come up. Uh, comics are emblazoned right now with the whole, you know, lack of female characters that are relatable kind of situation, and you know, DC Comics took the brunt of yes. those attacks. Yes. 
Um, but, you know, we have, we have characters like, you know, this woman Katana and a Black Canary. They're very fierce. They're kick-ass characters. Right. We're only starting to to see their off-duty lives, if you will. Right, right, right. It's just, you know, because it's a new line. But um, it's, it's almost like there's... You can't pretend that you're writing a book in one genre and really give them, you know, something else. You can't say, I've created this character, Miriam. She really, really is fierce, but instead I'm going to tell you this lovely um, love story about, you know, her reconnecting with the man when he came back from the war. And, right, right. You know, and we're going to have the notebook with Miriam Black. Well, but that's the thing. As much as, you know, she does, she's a harsh, you know, acid, acidy character, and she does have, you know, she can kick a little ass when, when called to. But there's also some, I mean, very vulnerable moments, and they're very tender moments with men and in some cases other women and stuff and stories of her mother and I don't think that's necessarily a female trait I just think it's a good character trait to sort of like I even try to do that with Coburn in in, in Double Dead you, you mean he's you know so hard hardly exterior but then there's some shot through real moment there's some sadness and some like in every in, every, in the card in the core of every story is is this really core of sadness um, and so I think drawing on that is, is nice. And I don't think that's necessarily a male or female thing. I think Neil Gaiman recently said that all books are boy books or girl books. Right. Um, which is interesting, but I don't know that I buy it. Um, well, they're certainly marketed that way. Yeah, they're certainly marketed that way, but I don't know that they're that way at the core. Um, I think that, you know, I mean, the, the big issue this month was the Hunger Games. The Hunger Games, yeah. You know, uh, female protagonist, weapon carrier. Uh-huh. Know, very skilled. Yeah. Hunter. Um, yeah. Hunter, yeah, you know, and protector. Yeah, and I wouldn't know, I could not, like, in the, in that war of is it a boy book or a girl book, I couldn't tell you. I really couldn't. I mean, I feel like there's a very, you, you, because you have the weapon thing, there's, that's theoretically male-minded, and because there's mm-hmm. an emotional connection with a boy that's theoretically female-minded, and I use air quotes on all of those because I don't think they really are male or female-minded. I think, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, you know, it's weird because you start getting into it. Like, the people who seem to want to say that sexism is in books then say that there's boy books and girl books, which is essentially a sexist comment. Sure. It's essentially saying that this book is for boys and this book is for girls, and there may be crossover, but that's how they are. But I don't know that that's it. I think people are a little more complex than that. But there's there's a difference to me in taking two legendary male fictional characters, yet they couldn't be more different if I take Hercule Poirot versus Martin Riggs from Lethal Weapon. Right. I mean, <laughs> both soft crimes. Both, right. You know, both are good guys. Um, it's, and yet, one is one is dapper and dandy and right. drinks his tea with his pinky out. And, well, sure, you know. sure, absolutely. And I, I, I definitely agree that some books are are some books are boy books and some books are girl books. I mean, I know I think they are, but I don't think every book is a boy book and a girl book or a girl book. I should say. I think that you start to get into some dangerous presuppositions with what what books should be, and it's maybe a little too simplistic. Do you think any female authors get flack for that? Yeah, the, in that review I, I'm speaking of regarding my book, um, they the, in the review she had referenced three or four other. Um, books by, and these were, I think, all female authors 
who, who they had felt were either not writing strong female characters or writing female characters that were all um, in subservience to men or whatever it was. Un- unrealistic. There were various complaints. Um, okay. So, yeah, I... uh, yeah, my initial response was if I was a girl who had written Blackbirds or a woman, would it have mattered? Um, Do you think there's... Like J.K. Rowling, the, what I had heard several times, and so, so I don't know if it's true or not, but she was her name's Josephine. She was told to use J.K. Right. by her publisher that right. we we need to make you marketable. You can't be a woman. Yeah, I think that used to be the case. I don't know. It, well, at least in certain genres, that that can't be the case. I mean, urban fantasy I think has a very strong um, female female friendly. Yeah. Yeah, female. Very female, a lot of female authors working in that genre, and fan fantasy in general, and some. I think science fiction maybe is a little, little male-dominated yet. I don't know that for thrillers, but, uh, you know, I think that's starting to loosen and change as to hope it is. But not all... So, yeah, I mean, if you have uh, the character that you've created in this particular way, that doesn't mean that every female character Chuck is ever going to create is going to be a cookie cutter. No, no. Why? I have a series um, uh, based on a character called Atlanta Burns, and I... I well, she has certainly some of those traits of she's, she's a tough cookie. I mean, I think she's way more vulnerable than Miriam. Um, so, I mean, you're not going to have different... The same character's not going to be in every book. And then I wrote... I have two... I have a pulp novel that's coming out now called Dinocalypse Now, and then I have a, um, a young adult novel I'm chopping around called Popcorn, and they all feature various... I mean, character is character. you got to find the character before you worry too much about genre or gender conventions, I think. Okay, and like you said, the the cover art is testament to the fact that you did take things into consideration uh, with, with not for for blackbirds that you you know you didn't say I just you know yeah let's have a leather clad ass oh right yeah I didn't yeah I didn't no that was that seemed like a strange I don't know why they do that that's an odd I don't know who they're selling to at that point that's a good question I didn't really think about that like because if it's a female driven genre but then they're trying to like punch up the sex component like like the DC Comics thing like you know the girls like Jim Hines did a great post where he did all the poses the author Jim Hines yes. yeah we did sure. all the poses of like the great it's great it's totally I mean it totally shows you how comical and insane those they were hilarious those images are so it's kind of curious that that's also translated across to the book component but then it, it's weird because the books seem to be possibly marketed to women in some cases too I don't know or are they being marketed to men is that what's really happening Gosh, I don't know. I don't know. Television uh, is sort of changing, I think, because at least when it comes to what I see in crime shows, um, I watch Rizzoli and Isles, I watch Castle, I watch watch Body of Proof, and um, Covert Affairs. And usually before I see something ridiculous, like a, a ridiculous short skirt, what I do notice is they try to get the sex in there with ridiculous shoes. <laughs> but, right. things, you know, right. the, the, the women characters that are on The Mentalist um, and the detective, uh, like Rizzoli is the detective on right. Rizzoli. Um, they're dressed appropriately. They're wearing flat shoes they can actually run in. Right, right. You know, and, and yet and there, there are other female characters. I mean, I can't even watch when I see commercials for, for some of these shows, what they're supposed to be ad executives and they're wearing like these itty bitty little skirts and these six inch stilettos. Right. Like, who walks around an office in that? <laughs> right. 
Right, exactly. I mean, I couldn't, you know, and then when they have a detective of some sort wearing it, like, on covert affairs, they, I've actually noticed when they change her shoes. Like, it's like, okay, she needs to run across a wood plank pier, so we're going to make sure that her outfit on this day has tennis shoes. Right. You know, but other times she's walking in stilettos. <laughs> you know, to, to be a CIA agent. Yeah, well, of course. That's a par for the course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Castle, I think, is sort of, the, I think, a, a good middle ground. I think right. when Kate Beckett on, on Castle, she does wear feminine cool clothes. Clothes. Yeah. But, you know, feminine clothes. And they have plenty of opportunity to have her, you know, undercover at some ridiculous gala where she's in a gown. Right, right. Just, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, I think as long as you're trying to keep it realistic and more more to the point true to the character. I mean, if the character is the type who would wear skimpy clothing or a, or a guy who would wear, you know, crazy, you know, off-the-charts suits that he shouldn't be wearing. I mean, there's, there's you know, go to the character to find out what they would look like. Right. Miss Congeniality. Perfect example. Yeah. Write it in. Write it in as, as this woman has no idea what to do in a dress. Exactly. And I, I would know what to do in a dress. I just to be, that's not what I heard. I know, but I, that's the, I'm addressing the rumors now. Those pictures you've seen online are not true. They were photoshopped. They were photoshopped. That's totally not me. Fingers crossed. That people <laughs> so now you have um, all of these other books that are available. I do. With, um tips, all of these wonderful writing tips. and Tips. Um, just the tip. Just the tip. Just the tip. As long as it's covered. All right. Um, how did you decide that that's what you wanted to do to monetize the blog was let's you know take all of these entries and make them into actual collections well i had originally um put that that idea out through my agent to a few publishers um she thought it, you know she had done some nonfiction um pimpery if you will mm-hmm. and so i thought well okay this could this could work and i went to her with it we worked up a pitch and you know some of it was taking content from the blog and some of it was original content and uh, unlike with Blackbirds, where I got a bunch of really favorable rejections, I, I got rejections there that were essentially just like, well, we don't know who this guy is. He doesn't have a platform. You know, who is he? And I was like, well, I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, well, I've been writing for over 10 years now and successfully, and I'm a full-time writer, which is a rare thing. So it's sort of like, so I thought, well, okay, I'm going to start putting my, some of my blog posts together and also then add in some original content and play it, play it as the idea that, you know, just as I had gotten in the rejections, that... I'm the hardest working writer you've ever heard of. So it's like, <laughs> and, and speaking then not to writers who want to be top shelf names, but speaking about to writers who want to actually try to earn a living um, and make a living wage from doing that old, the pen monkey shuffle, as it were. What's the worst writing job you've ever taken just for the paycheck? Um, well, m- one of my first earliest writing jobs was actually, and I'm cheating on this answer a little bit, was not, it was a writing job they said. It was okay. an ad writing job for the ICR. Okay, what are the numbers? ICRDA International is the International Cash Registers Dealers Association, which is already you're asleep. You're already like yes. cash registers. I'm now. It's like a you're in, all in a coma. Everybody's in a coma. I've just killed a whole bunch of people. Um, so they said, well, we're going to hire you, and you're going to write for our little newspaper. Yes, they had a fucking newspaper. Um, literally <laughs> trade a, publication. Literally a trade, it was a newspaper trade publication about a cash registers, point of sale computers. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, and I did do a little writing for them, but 
I noticed that so much of what I was doing was just awful bitch work. It was like stuffing envelopes and moving boxes, and I was like, this. it was advertised as a writing position. So I eventually went to my supervisor, and she kind of was evasive about it. And um, Eventually, one of the execs, who I, I thought didn't like me, um, came up to me. He's like, hey, I need to tell you something. He's like, we hired you because we didn't want to go to a, um, a temp agency because they cost too much. So we would advertise someone who was hungry to do one thing, and then we could, when you were not writing, basically borrow your body as, you know, you're like a mule. You're like a pack mule. Just You can huff some boxes around because we don't want to do it. Oh my so God. I was like, oh, that's awesome. So I uh, ended up... Here, I'll bend over. Yeah, I did. I was uh, spread wide. So, But I kind of got them inadvertently in the end where it was like they... Uh, they wanted me to serve as like a tour guide for this. They had a convention every year, a cash register convention. <laughs> just killed the other half of the audience. Cash. <laughs> that sounds like, I think that's in Dante's Inferno, a cash register convention. I think it's level 10. Yeah, yeah. And it's the final level. It's the deepest shit shellac hell you can find. So, and they said, well, we want you to drive the van and give a tour guide to some of our most esteemed guests at the convention. I was like, whoa, that sounds like a... Like, wow, working your way up to be a guest I know. <laughs> at that convention. I know, and a seat guest, too. Like, what did you have to do? I had to suck a cash register's dick. Like, whoa. <laughs> so I was like, I right, fine, I'll drive. That Pitney Bowes man. <laughs> Seriously. So I get to the van, and it's in a parking garage, and it's not just like a normal van. It's like this giant-ass, way-too-long, way-too-wide van. I'm like, I don't think I even have a license to, to pilot this thing. <laughs> So I'm like, shit, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So I'm like, well, I'll get it out of here. But I, I couldn't, I don't know how the fuck they got it in. I couldn't get it out. And I literally jammed it into the exit out. Like I jammed it in there and it wouldn't go any further. And I scraped it along the side of the ticket thing on the other side and just like wedged it in there like a kidney stone. And I just like, all right, fuck it. And I got out and I left. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's that. That's and I quit. And it's like, there we go. Enjoy your van. Uh, you can, you guys can figure that out. Someone oh else can do that. So that was my writing job where I crashed a van. My first writing job, I crashed a van. Oh wow! I don't recommend it's... that be the path anyone takes. But uh, hey, we all we all find our own way in. Did you study writing in college, or did you have some completely other? Were you like a microbiologist oh, and studied writing? With I am you? actually a microbiologist by trade. No, uh, <laughs> I, studied, I studied writing and religion actually. Okay, I'm just curious sometimes how how things don't work out. Right. When you're young and you're no, I, no I, I believe it or not, this is, I'm surprisingly, I've made it doing what I wanted to do for a very long time. I'm, I'm quite fortunate that way. That's cool. Yeah. Are you going to, um, are you grooming the baby to, to be literary? You're already, you know, shoving books in the crib? And uh, yeah, the, it, we had a weird turn with the baby recently because up until about two weeks ago, and he's now 11 months, and he had no interest in books. And he would just chew on them or hit you. So they eat them, right? Yeah, or he'd hit himself in the eye with them. Like, it was just, the books were just a mess to him. And uh, we didn't, you know, reading to him just didn't work. He'd try to read to him, and he'd just wander off, or he'd grab the book and throw it. And you'd be like, okay, well. So, as you know, as a writer, you start to feel like, oh, shit, he's going to be a kid who hates books, and that's, I write books, and this is going to be our, this is going to be our battle. He might be a jock. He might be a jock, and I, you know, this is how it'll be. So, you start studying football, I guess. Um... So, like, the other last week before I left for L.A., he suddenly, out of nowhere, grabs a book, plops it in your hand, and sits next to you. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, no one taught you to do this, but you're doing this. And then you read him the book, 
then he like he takes the book, puts it down, goes gets another one, and returns to you with the book and does the same thing. And he'll do this for six or seven books. So suddenly, out of nowhere, he's now book obsessed. And uh, so it turned out all right. But I don't know who taught him this. There must be like a weird guy who comes in at night and teaches him to read. <laughs> Which is fine. I mean, as long as as long as it's a safe zone, he can. If there's some sort of book fairy, some sort of biblio goblin who appears at night, that we can deal with that. Cool. Um, is unlocked. <laughs> Did he respond okay to Santa? Did you do the Santa visit in the mall? No, thing? no, Santa was not really. Yeah, Santa okay. was the scary guy, and we tried. You know, we made the mistake of leaving him on Santa's lap, which is terrifying. I mean, when you think about it, it's like, all right, right. we're going away. Happy time now. We're just going to put you on this weird old dude's lap, and he's dressed like a clown of some sort. <laughs> so enjoy, and he's, he's probably smells like chewing tobacco or something. So just, just enjoy this. Just relax. Oh, now I have a completely ludicrous thing that I want you to think about. Oh, take, right. take the time. I will. Would you rather have dinner and and a you know conversation with Chuck Norris or the Dalai Lama? I you know oh shit that is a good one because Dalai Lama like I like all his little quotes like his tweets. Like, yeah. Oh, the Dalai Lama just said something that made me feel so much better about my life. I know, right? I follow him. Chuck Norris is sort of badass, but Chuck Norris is also sort of like a crazy Republican these days. <laughs> like, he's, he supported Mike Huckabee, which is sort of nuts. So, you know, and I feel like his his time as an icon, I mean, this is heresy, I know, but his time as an icon of ass-kickery is maybe nearing an end. Like, that meme is sort of done. Like, he's he's getting older, and he's a Republican kind of hardcore guy, and you're like, well, eh, all right. So let's go with the Dalai Lama. I bet the Dalai Lama can... You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna make a brave statement. I bet the Dalai Lama can kick Chuck Norris's ass secretly. He probably can't. You know, he sits on a mountain. It's not just because it's racist. Like I actually could believe the Dalai Lama is like a street fighter. Like he could break a bottle and shank you with it. Well, sure. He's like one of those Airbender people, right? He's probably a fucking Airbender. That's what he is. The Avatar. (laughs) Good. We've just figured out something not really important here today. I do, and I think that'll be picked up by you know every you know blog media network. Yep, call CNN or... Something. Well, I would love to make the AP wire with this discussion. On a bet it already has. What, do you uh, get distracted from your writing? Are you, like, too busy playing words with friends or draw something? Uh, yeah, I used to. I, I just try not to be. <laughs> it's like, the biggest thing is now is, like, social media and the internet. The internet is just a giant pothole which you could lose your entire car in if you're not... <laughs> Um, like it, it's the phenomenon to me when I used to go into like a CD store, like a record store. You'd wander and you'd be like, "I know I came in here for something." The moment I walk through the door, I don't know why. Now I'm just have to wander around, lost. And uh, like I feel like an old person aimlessly wandering in the hall. Like I'm just clicking on things. Like I don't know where I'm at, but I just have to follow this trail of breadcrumbs to something more entertaining. And then you're like, "Oh, it's been two hours and I haven't written anything." So that's that's my one distraction. So I really have to to punt the internet and the and the ads. Tell it no. Yeah, and coffee is your friend. Coffee's my friend. Yeah. Coffee, that's good. That's good. I'm not. I'm not a. Despite my much, I talk about. I don't drink a shit ton of coffee because it will. Right. I'll be freaking out by you know by noon. I'll be peeing myself and and banging my head on the window like a like a bee. Um. So I, I drink a couple cups of coffee in the morning, then I move into tea in the afternoonish, and then. And then you break out the you know, L- LSD, LSD and LSD. Frank, Frank yeah. comes out after six. Yeah, that's six o'clock. Yeah, whiskey and LSD is is pretty much going to be my memoir, right there. Who would play you in a movie about you? 
Um, I have been told that I look a little bit like Kiefer Sutherland. So we could be Kiefer Sutherland. Okay. Or is Donald Sutherland, if it's an old version of me. That'd be fine. Or just like a, you could put like a, you know, a, 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 like duct tape a dog to a mop or something. I don't know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just, no one's, no one's going to watch that movie anyway, so you can do whatever you want with it. You can put a tree, a palm tree, and it'll be me. <laughs> we'll just put a cardboard cutout yeah, of your face. Just a cardboard cutout of my face, and uh, it'll be fine. A, 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 a vulture skull on a mop handle and rattling around. Be good. As long as there's a cameo by Jackie Chan. Yeah. And yeah, just make sure the Vulture Skull has a beard. That's probably the one thing you're gonna have to get away. You can't get away with not putting a beard on me. Cool and completely R-rated. Right? Yeah, they have to be. Probably. You know, we're, yeah, probably we're not gonna. Seventeen. Okay. Yeah. That's that's good. Keep the special effects guys, you know, really busy. Right. Right. Um, do you have any, you know, words of wisdom that you want to share before we wrap up? Words like about anything. About anything, about anything. Say, you know, tell people what you really think of the Easter Bunny. Um, or you can talk about writing, I don't know. I think the Easter Bunny's a son of a bitch, is what I think. <laughs> it's weird, because rabbits are like kind of, I mean, I, I get the fertile connection, fertile fertility. Right. And, and it's weird, what you then have to jump to is that the Easter Bunny fucks a lot, really is what you're getting yeah. at. Easter Bunny gets a lot of tail, literally. And <laughs> he's having sex with. And are there, like, multiple baby Easter bunnies? Does every year there's just a new... Net? Is exactly. that how it works? Is that how we get all the eggs around us? Because there's a, a like yeah. an, an, an unholy army of Easter bunny right. progeny. That's weird. So my wisdom uh, is to probably not get on podcasts and talk about Easter bunny sex. <laughs> probably don't do that. It's probably not <laughs> in your career. But go to Terrible Minds and, and go buy to your books. Go to and buy all of my books many times over and then slather them on your body. You can read them, too, if you want. I don't care. Just buy them. <laughs> I mean, unless that's going to get you to tell other people about them, then I guess, fine, read them. Blackbirds is out. That's the thing. Um, Mockingbird's out soon. Um, ta-da. Dinoclips is out soon. Dinoclips Now is out soon. That's the Kickstarter uh, people have it now. And, uh, yeah. Where um do you do like are you doing conventions any kind of book signing circuit tour thing? Uh, no circuit. I just did L.A. I did a book signing at the L.A. Book Festival and a um I did the launch party for Blackbirds at the totally wonderful Mysterious Galaxy in Redondo Beach. They do such a lovely job there in terms of supporting authors and um, it was a blast. So I'll probably do some local stuff around here and then over the summer maybe drive some places that uh, doesn't require me to fly anywhere. Uh, I, I do Worldcon. I'll be at Chicago. Um, I think that's also when Mockingbird releases, so I don't know if I'll do a thing with that. Then I'm doing the Crossroads uh, Writer Convention in Macon, Georgia, as a guest there um, in October, I think. I think it's October. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll, you know, we're not, you know, all that far apart. Hopefully I'll get to actually run into you. Yeah, where are you at? I'm in Jersey. You give me your street address. No, um, sure. where, where are you at in Jersey, though, seriously? Yeah, no, I'm uh, about an hour north of Trenton. Oh, jeez, okay. So you're really not far from me. Look, I'm um, Bucks County, so. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're and that, Yeah, so I go to New Hope in that area I quite a bit. I go to New Hope. Well, around New Hope. That's where you got the leather chaps. That's where I got my leather chaps, yeah. Ah, uh, New Hope, yeah, the, 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 the reputation of New Hope. <laughs> we will have to meet there for, for drinks and peruse Farley's and then go out for more drinks. totally do that. I love Farley's. Farley's okay. 
Fantastic. Chuck, thank you so much for all your time. Well, thank you for having me. All right, and don't forget, guys, you can check out Chuck Wendig at TerribleMinds.com or follow him on the Twitter at Chuck Wendig, and I'm at Elizabeth Amber on Twitter. And, of course, you can uh, learn everything you need to know about me at AmberUnmasked.com. Thanks for listening, and cheers.